Hey, can we, can we welcome Wanda? Just honor her, yeah. Really excited for what the Lord bring, is, is gonna do. So we love you, Jesus, just bless this time. Bless Wanda as she shares. We receive all that she carries. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Oh man, I'm so excited for Galatians. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I mean, everything's good, but hey, Galatians is like... And so this week when I was preparing, um, one morning it's like, what is, what is the gist of Galatians? Like I was asking the Lord all week and, <clears throat> and then he was just, like I was passing by the pool of our apartment complex and he's just like, once for all, once for all. Like he was like whispering that to me. I'm like, that's it. You know, this is what Paul was after in the book of Galatians to establish once for all. And so I, I thought it was interesting that, Jason, you would um, touch on that too today. So, like, if you go to Hebrews, the amount of times the Lord is saying once for all is, like, pretty astounding. You have to go and circle it every time. And it's like, it's always there. It's once for all. So, that actually was on my last page of my notes. But, hey. <laughs> okay. So, beginning of the year, I have been um, uh, studying the letters of the New Testament in chronological order, in the order of when they were written, and it was just so enlightening to just go that go through that progression. And Galatians um, is in there too, quite at the beginning. So, I just want to quickly explain. Okay, so that's the outline. Sorry, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Um, so, thank you. <laughs> so, we're going to look at the historical and geographical context of Galatians. Um, I think it's relevant for what we're talking about. Then the content of Paul's message to the churches in Galatia, and then we're talking about the letter. Okay, so if we go, uh, I have the clicker, right? Where do I click here? There we go, perfect. Okay, historical, geographical context, content of Paul's message, and uh, the letter. So um, those of you who know me, I am a maps girl. Um, if I can find a map about something, I like it. So this is the Roman <laughs> Empire at, the, at its height at the time of when the church was born. I know it, this says 117 AD. That is the largest extent of the Roman Empire at the time. The pink areas are... Um, senatorial provinces, that means the Senate in Rome was ruling that area, but the green ones were directly on the, under the emperor. So that means that's where they were expanding, and the, like Caesar Augustus, he was the one who was commanding the army. So this is heavily militarized um, territory, and you can see that Judea is part of that. A lot of the Middle East is part of that. A lot of Europe is part of that. So they were under heavy military rule. Not saying the other parts weren't under heavy military rule either, but that was directly commanded by the commander-in-chief, Caesar. So that is the historical context. Um, and just to give you an idea of comparison, oh, this way. This, if you overlay these two maps, that's about how big the Roman Empire was in comparison to the United States or North America. And so we're talking about Galatia, this region that is colored in red right there. It's in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And uh, what is colored blue right there is 
the kingdom of Galatia, and these were, as the name already implies, it was a Gaulish tribe that settled that region, and it's a high plain or a table plain, or how do you say that in English? Yeah, it's a high plateau in, the, in central Turkey today. And uh, the Gaulish tribe, so they are from France, or today is modern day France, and they came there, and so that's why you have the Gaul rooster. <laughs> and it was a kingdom. And uh, they operated as a kingdom, and that was actually further north than what then became later the Roman province of Galatia. So they were acquired by the Roman Empire, or taken over, <laughs> um, in 25 BC. So that is pretty recent if we look at it in the New Testament time. They've just been taken over and is a relatively new acquisition. Also, that emperor that was doing all that, that was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. Before you had dictators, Julius Caesar was a dictator, and now you have King uh, Caesar Augustus, meaning the Roman Empire was in its full vigor. Internal struggles have been more or less settled down. He was the sole emperor. He had to say, and he can do basically whatever he wanted. And uh, so you're not dealing with a crumbling kingdom or anything. So the Roman Empire was its in, full, in its full strength. Okay. Okay, so I would like to give a quick historical perspective on Paul's life um, because it helps to, sometimes I don't know how it is for you when you read the Bible, you get these snippets of Paul did this and Mark did this and John did this and it is kind of all fragmented and it just helps to have some historical perspective. So you have Jesus's life, you have his death, burial, and resurrection. You have Pentecost, and out of that, the church is birthed. The first martyr is Stephen, and that happened around 31 to 36 AD, and that is when Paul shows up. That is when he comes on, uh, the first time on the scene, and uh, that is at Stephen's stoning. And it, I don't know how it is for you, but actually pretty soon afterward, he has his Damascus Road experience. So that is maybe 36 AD, maybe 34 AD, but it is pretty soon after that, that where he turns 180, comes to the Lord. And uh, my handwriting is very small on this, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so interestingly, he... I don't know, in my mind, sometimes Paul is in Jerusalem, then he's in Antioch, and he's all over the place. But actually, he got converted in Damascus, and he never went to Jerusalem in the first place. He went to back to, um, he was actually from Damascus, sent by the Lord to Arabia. So he spent three years in Arabia, and then he comes back and goes to Jerusalem with Barnabas to talk to Peter and James, and then he goes back to Tarsus. And the funny thing is, <laughs> while he was in Jerusalem, uh, it says that he was arguing <laughs> with the Hellenists. So he already was engaging in debate and everything. And I don't know if it's really related to him leaving or not, but then actually it says, and the church encountered peace and prospered after that. So I don't know if it has to do... <laughs> 
with him leaving or so. But what I can see already is the same zeal that he had well, because he was fully in when Stephen was stoned. He was fully in persecuting the church. His heart got turned, but he was fully in with the Lord. And so he went for the truth as it was revealed to him by Jesus. And he was arguing with the Hellenists, so they sent him away. Go back to Tarsus and just do your thing with God, right? <laughs> so after 14 years, he goes up to Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly if that's 14 years minus the three years that he already spent in Arabia. It is not as relevant. It's just like there's a long time he has actually, he doesn't operate in Jerusalem, but he gets sent out to Antioch with Barnabas. And that is about a 300-mile journey north from Jerusalem. And I'm amazed how much traveling these guys did with donkeys and on foot. It's 300 miles through not paved roads. So it's pretty amazing. And now here we are in Antioch. They're building the church. It is a thriving, thriving church. Actually, this um, town, Antioch, today's Antakya, which actually sadly was destroyed or a large part of it was destroyed in the earthquake earlier this year. Um, it was one of the largest cities in that time. It was a center of commerce and uh, it was just a very large also community of Christians at the time. And so there in that church, Barnabas and his friend Paul or Saul at the time and uh, the Holy Spirit sends them out on their first missionary journey. And I want to, I know this all has to do with Galatians because that missionary <laughs> journey took them to Galatia. Um, but I want to touch upon a few stations on this journey. So they set out from Antioch to Seleucia. There they board a ship. They go to Salamis and they preach in the synagogue. Then they t go and travel by foot to Paphos. And that's where they encounter the proconsul. So they have contact with a Roman representative there. And he's super interested in the gospel. He's just amazed of what they're preaching. And... Um, you have a Jew they call, it Acts, it says he's a false prophet, Elymas, and he tries to pull this proconsul away from the faith to the point where it really gets on Paul's nerves <laughs> and he temporarily strikes him with blindness. So uh, you can read it in Acts 13. That's all in there. I'm just paraphrasing what is in the word here. <laughs> so... Um, Yes, but the, the proconsul, so a Roman representative, a Roman official, believes. Um, so they take another ship. Oh, John Mark actually is on that journey as well. And they go to Perga, and that's something happened, and John Mark went back to Jerusalem. And so Barnabas and Paul, they um, continue on just by themselves to Antioch, and that's where it gets very interesting. So they preach at the synagogue on the Sabbath. And what is very interesting, if you go to Acts 13, is that they have a that is the first time you actually see what they are preaching. What is the content of their message there? And the content of their message is they actually la um, lay out the history of the Jews, how the Lord has taken them out 
of Egypt, everything. And then they go into the genealogy of Jesus, explaining who he is in the genealogy. But then what's interesting is they are confirming Jesus's role as the Messiah through the prophets. So they're bringing up the prophets from the Old Testament and thereby explaining and proving that he's the Messiah. And the people are so amazed. And there it says, let it be known, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Isn't that amazing? That is the content of their message. That is what he preached. And the people got hungry for that message. So they said, come back again. So people wanted to hear more and begged them to come back. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city came to hear that. That verse here. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. It's, it says in, um, in the Greek text, it's justified. So render just or innocent. That's the only way to become free. Whatever the law of Moses couldn't do, now is possible. This is the stage that he's setting. Okay, isn't that so amazing? <laughs> Just in the context of what all had been happening. So the whole city comes. They're so intrigued. They're, they're smelling the freedom that awaits them. But the Jewish religious leader got jealous and... So Paul and Barnabas, they said, okay, let's preach to the Gentiles. <laughs> so they preached the same message to the Gentiles. But then the Jewish leaders came and they incited the devout women and the women of high standing and the leading men. So I imagine this like they were talking to the women, the women were talking to their husbands, and they're like, get these guys out. And um, that wasn't a good day for Paul and Barnabas. So they left. And so they went further north. Oh, this is, by the way, this is Antioch, actually. It's pretty, pretty there, actually. It's a very nice area. I think Daniel Audi could tell you more about this area, right? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> so they went to Iconium. They went into the synagogue again, and many Jews and Gentiles believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. Again, I'm paraphrasing what it says in Acts. So it's not just, oh, they were just badly influenced. The word actually says they poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. Nevertheless, they kept going, boldly preaching, and they had many signs and wonders. The city was divided, and they got wind of plans of stoning them. So they were on the brink of being stoned to death. And they fled to Lystra and Derby. In Lystra, so they go on, and imagine this, this is all by foot. <laughs> you know, they're just traveling, traveling. So the, in Lystra, there was a man crippled from birth. Seeing his faith, Paul commands the man to stand up and he gets healed. The people are so amazed that they think the gods, Zeus and Hermes, had descended to earth and they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But then, imagine this now. So you have this amazing message in Antioch, and they're driven out by the Jewish leaders and the devout women of high standing inciting their husbands to 
see them go. Then you have the same happening in Iconium. They're almost getting stoned. But now these two cities are sending people to Lystra. But then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and stirred up the Lystrians against Paul and effectively actually stoned Paul <laughs> and left him from de for dead. Paul rises up again and with Barnabas goes on to Derby. That is another 100-mile journey down there. And there they preach and they make many disciples. And then they go back from there all the way back to Perga and then to Atalia, which is next to per Perga, and take the ship back to Antioch where they finally rested for a time. So this is the context. And that is Antakya today, or ancient Antioch. So what is interesting about this letter, two things struck me. Um, if you look at the timing of that first missionary journey, which happened between 44 and 46 AD, so after the 14 years that Paul references in this letter, it is the letter, if you follow the different research, what people say it was written in. It was to these churches, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, in the south of Galatia, the Roman province, um, in about 48 AD. And it is Paul's first letter that he ever wrote in the Bible. And I think it's significant because it takes something to start. Like, if that was his first letter and he continued writing letters, I mean, the first letter that we still have, but... I think it is his first letter. If you think you're writing a book, and Wesley made this example one time <laughs> when we were talking, but like, what does it take for you to write a book? Like, you have to have a very strong message, and then you finally sit down, and you finally write that book, and then you finally publish it. I feel this is like Paul saying, hey, I'm finally sitting down, or I'm sitting down, I need to write this letter. This isn't the beginning of what I need to get out to the world. And it is just, I think that's significant. And then the second one also is, if you look at the first time the apostles came together to decree how is the church going to be run in terms of doctrine, that was the first Jerusalem council. And the first Jerusalem council, where they made decisions on doctrine, was in 50 or 40 AD, 48 AD, so about the same time when Paul writes Galatians, you have the Jerusalem Council happening. And what happened at the Jerusalem Council? There were people that were worried, what do we do have to do? If we are a Christian, we are a Gentile, you're not growing up Jewish, you're a Gentile and you become a Christian. Do we have to observe the Jewish laws, yes or no? And in that first Jewish, uh, Jerusalem council, they decided, no, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to fulfill any of the Mosaic law, except don't eat food that has been sacrificed to God. Do not commit sexual immorality. And uh, don't eat anything that has been strangled or has blood in it. So these are the three things that they said you shouldn't do. But the rest, like you are absoluted from <laughs> or absolved from the Mosaic law. And so I think it's just interesting. It is a sign of the time. This was a question people had. What do we need to do now that we have Jesus? And uh, so Paul is totally writing 
that in that context of that first council and then also as a threshold letter, I would call it. And so the message, what is the letter about? It is freedom. And the message is so controversial. And I'm trying to remember everything because I have like, man, it is so good. <laughs> um, freedom, as Jesus has bought it for us, is highly, 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 highly provocative. People don't know what to do with it. You had, for hundreds of years, you had the Mosaic Law where you had to do so many things to be righteous before God. And now Jesus fulfilled that once for all. And you don't have to fulfill that anymore. And it's interesting that you had, like, through that missionary journey, you had unbelievers that were attacking the gospel. You had Jews, unbelieving Jews, attacking the gospel. But what is interesting, when you read on in Galatians, you have the so-called Judaizers. So believers that wanted to reintroduce Jewish custom and traditions into the Christian church. So it's not unbelievers. I could understand that unbelievers would do that because they don't understand. They had, didn't have a revelation of Jesus. But you have Christians that come and say, yes, yes, that's all good. Jesus did this, but you have to add something to the salvation. And that's not okay. And that is what then Paul is writing against. So if you look at the tone of the letter, so it's this first letter. He praises the Galatians, says, I'm so glad I'm, I saw you. Um, grace to you and peace from God our Father. But it only lasts like for four, five <laughs> verses. And then <laughs> in verse 6, he is just fierce. And he goes, I am astonished at you so quickly deserting the gospel. So it is like... Just this short introduction, not a lot of fluff, and he's just fierce, attacking. And it's not that Paul is unkind, but he is just so passionate about keeping the truth pure. And it is just so amazing in that letter. It just goes on and on. So unbelievers, um, you have to have the gospel, but you, you have the gospel, but you feel you need to add to it. And it is a problem when you don't understand you understand what God did, but you don't understand why he did it. And that is the big problem if you think, if you don't understand the whole plan that God has. And we need to, and Andrew is going to talk about it. You have to have a revelation of the gospel because of a revelation of Jesus that you have. Like, I'm trying to find the words. You have to have the revelation of the truth, and the truth is Jesus, the person of Jesus. It is not knowledge. It is not just trying to understand what happened, but why it happened. So if we go to Ephesians, um, it's in the very beginning there. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So even before any plan for rescue or like that we saw in covenants, expressed in covenants, he already has made up his mind before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. It is not our work. It is his desire so we could have union and communion with him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. What is the mystery of his will? To unite all things in heaven and in earth. This is the mystery of his, of his will. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, Jesus had set it in his heart to unite us. It's not about a system of do's and don'ts. Don't add to the gospel another system of do's and don'ts. It is you and I, we're together. Jesus and I, we're together. We're unified. And that is the message of Galatians. That is the message of the gospel. Nothing added once for all. And uh, I found this gem. Uh, if you think of what is God's will, what is God's will? How many of you think, I need to do God's will. So God, what do I need to do? How many have had this question? <laughs> you know, go to Hebrews 10. Uh-oh. So if doing his will is what do I need to do, and we equal doing with sacrifices, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. The Mosaic law was I have to sacrifice because this blood of the bulls and goats did not take away the sin. The only person that could take away, the only sacrifice that could take away the sin of the world is Jesus. When John saw Jesus coming approaches, he said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No other sacrifice could do that before that. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That is Jesus talking. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So... When he said above, you have neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. So this is Jesus talking, behold, I have come to do your will. The mystery of his will. Here is the will. He goes away with, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. He's talking about the covenant. The better one, Hebrews talks about the better covenant. So, he, that is the will that the first covenant was done away with, not because it was bad, because it helped us recognize that God is just and we are not and we are needed of him. And Wesley's talking about that in Galatians 3. But there is a better one because once for all, Christ's sacrifice is complete. Nothing else needs to be added once for all this sacrifice has enough is enough was enough and it is complete so i'm almost done and i'm totally over my time i'm sorry but one last thing it is interesting that when you look at um, acts so going back to acts the first church when it says, and we like to quote this a lot, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. We've heard that in the past year so many times, but I found out another gem. Um, 
if you look at the word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? At that time, they didn't have the letters. Some of the gospel wasn't even written yet. What is the apostles' teaching? It is the revelation of Jesus. So they devoted themselves to the revelation of Jesus, teaching the revelation of Jesus. What does devoted mean? I looked up that word, and it's Greek for proskatereo. And uh, it means pro is toward, and katereo is endure. So the full meaning of that word is to be earnest towards, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, to attend assiduously, adhere closely, continue in, wait on. I think this is crucial. This is what the first church did. They devoted, they endured toward engaging and investing everything into the revelation of Jesus. It is so good. They devoted themselves into the apostles' teaching. So their focus wasn't in a system of do's and don'ts, adding to the gospel, doing more to advance in the kingdom and become more proficient Christians. No, they engaged in becoming more familiar with the man Jesus and endured towards that. They invested their energy into that. And I feel that is the context for what Galatians stands behind and why Paul was so fierce because he goes on in the other letters. He's just like, stay with that initial revelation. Stay there. Don't depart for it. Don't add to it because, oh, because Jesus came as the Messiah. So he has already dealt with the penalty of sin. Now we have to figure out, and it's again, it's not us having to figure out, but it is the Holy Spirit that is the promise of the Father. When Jesus went into the throne room, presenting his blood, he was the eternal sacrifice, and he, in exchange for his blood, he got the promised Holy Spirit so we can live with not having to deal with the power of sin anymore. It is not us that has to deal with the power of sin. It is Holy Spirit in us, and that is what Galatians is about. I think that is what a lot of the, of the other letters are about, and that's where I hand over to Andrew. Might as well just have an altar call right now, huh? I, I'm really not up here to preach anymore. Like we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna tarry a long time. Um, I want to encourage you. We talk about being a spirit in a word church. We're gonna read the book of Galatians. I want to encourage you to read it with us. Uh, it's only six chapters. Not like some of you are like I don't know if I have time. Some of you like get in the word, okay? Get in the word. Don't just let Wanda or myself or Wesley preach it. Read it. Know what it says. Man, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's one way that you know the truth? Read it. Read it. If you don't know where it is, just hang a right right after 2 Corinthians. If, you're, if you've hit Ephesians, you've gone too far, hang a left. Okay? I want to end by just reading the entire chapter. Some of you are like, are we really doing this in church? We're going to read an entire chapter? I bet we are. We're going to read it. So if you have your Bibles, paper Bibles, come on, I love the paper Bible. 
uh, pull it out. We're going to read it. Wanda just did an amazing job of just kicking us off in Galatians 1, but let's just read the entire thing. All right, Paul, I love that he starts it off this way too. He says, an apostle not sent for man. So he's already telling you a little, just giving you some foreshadowing about where he's heading, okay? Not sent for men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches at Galatia. And then he says, grace to you. I love this. Paul, typically, he always gives an exhortation, right, in his letters. However, this one is very short. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. And everyone was like, okay, that's it, right, Paul? Right? Is there more encouraging words? I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. Wait. They're probably like, wait, can we stop reading this now? <laughs> Paul's like, no, this is, this is what I want. I want. I want you to catch this, okay? Who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Now, I love this. Paul starts out saying for a different gospel, and then he says, actually, it's not another it's not another gospel. Oh, this is important. There's not another gospel. Uh, I, can't, I can't take too much time. There's not another gospel. I hear people talk about the social justice gospel. I hear people talking about all these things. Anytime you put anything in front of the word gospel, it is now a man-made heretical gospel that is not really the true revelation of Jesus. You cannot put anything in front of the gospel. There isn't the social gospel. There isn't the this gospel and the that gospel. And the, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. Yes. That's it. Period. End of story. So Paul's saying it's not a different gospel. It's that you're what? You, there are some who are disturbing you. Juan already brought this up. The Judaizers were disturbing them. And they're wanting to do what? Pervert. My translation says distort. We could write it another way and say twist, right? Twist the gospel. Listen to this. But even if we or an angel, I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but did you know that you actually have to be careful with angelic revelation as well? I see a lot of people Sometimes they like to put their YouTube videos out, and it's all about a revelation that they had from an angelic encounter. And guess what? If it's not rooted in the word, it's actually not real, and you need to flush it. It doesn't matter if you think you saw an angel if it doesn't back this up. There's a lot of people, they base entire things entire revelation entire things based on an angelic encounter and it actually doesn't back up the word of god but because it came from an angel they take it as the gospel and they run with it and they end up running in the wrong direction all right as we have said before man i've only made it through verse nine should uh angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you he is to be accursed 
As we have said before, so I say again, now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men, here he goes, or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Some of us, we need to hear this for ourselves. Are we trying to please man or are we trying to please God? Because if we're after the favor of man, oh man. If we're after the favor of man, we're actually not going to preach messages like this. We're going to preach messages that sound so good to you that it tickles your ear as Paul wrote to Timothy. And it actually creates something that sounds good and people are attracted to it, but they're attracted to it because it appeals more to their flesh than it does the spirit. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but this is where Wanda really led us, which I love. I received it through a revelation of who? Of who? Did Paul get it? He didn't get it anywhere else. And part of the reason he's saying this is he's defending his apostleship. They were coming in and they were saying, hey, you actually weren't with Jesus. And they were trying to actually discard Paul's apostleship by saying, oh, no, you're like, you, you weren't one of the ones that was like walking with Jesus. And Paul's like, no, 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 you don't understand. The man, Jesus, appeared to me on the road to Damascus. I received not just knowledge, I didn't just hear the gospel, I received a revelation from the man, Jesus himself. Thus my apostleship isn't based on you saying that, oh yeah, we finally think that you're an apostle. My apostleship comes from Jesus who has established me in that. Okay? All right. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many years, beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to, to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, who is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cecilia. I was still unknown, verse 22, by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, verse 23. But only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Isn't that good? Like we don't even need to preach anymore. Let's just read the word. That's so good. Um, go get your kids. Bring them back in the service. Um, I want to end here. Um, I can go ahead and have some keys mark that'd be awesome um there's a lot that i want to get into and we're going to get into a lot of it in galatians and by the way we're only going to be able to scratch the surface 
because we could teach all year on Galatians. That's how rich it is. And so we're going to go through all six chapters of Galatians. And I just want you to catch, too, the, the theme, freedom in Christ. If you need freedom, you need to just continue to read Galatians. Read it. Read it. But I want you to see when Paul, one thing that Paul is really trying to get into their heads is that I didn't receive this from knowledge. I didn't just hear about a good news. I met the man. I met the man. I think we have a lot of people in church that have heard about him and they've prayed a prayer so that they'll go to heaven and yet they need to continue to have a deeper revelation of the man. The man. Not just go to heaven, not just this, not just that, but a man who desires to encounter you every single day. It's not a one-time ticket to heaven. It's not a one moment. It's not being hit over the head with, no, you're wrong. This is, not, this is, this is what it looks like. It's meet the man. Meet him. I'm deeply sobered. I so appreciate Scott. Scott Wood sent me a study that Barna had done. And in the study, the thing that caught my attention the most was it said 47% of these are Christians who profess to be Christians, okay? In the U.S., say that they're Christians, but say that they don't practice Christianity. Now, I want you to catch the difference there. That's almost half. We have a lot of people that say they'll, they're going to check the box, I'm a Christian. And yet their life actually doesn't look like his. How does that change? Not by more words, not by more knowledge, but by the revelation of Jesus. I love truth and we're all about truth. And I was even gonna talk about that a little bit today. Like there's a lot of twisting and distorting of the gospel happening today. There's a lot of it. There's a lot of things that are seeking to distort and twist the gospel. There's, there's a sexual perversion agenda. There's a social justice gospel. There's all these things seeking to distort. And obviously we need to be undergirded by the word so we know the truth but we don't just need to shove truth in people's throats. We need them to meet the man. Because there are people that they know what this says. And they'll even quote verses back to you. Even the demons know the word. The demons don't know the person. And when they meet the person, they flee, right? And so I think one of the greatest things about Galatians 1 is that Paul is saying, I didn't just learn about this. I didn't just hear about this. I met him on the road to Damascus. You don't understand. I know this man. He changed my life. I'm so done now. That's why he says, I'm not seeking the favor of man. Do you know that when you're just reasoned into the gospel, you can seek the favor of man? But you become a bondservant when you meet the man. Oh, 
That's why at Convergence, we, uh, we do this all the time. We, we, we talk about when we worship, when we worship, we're not singing, we're not just singing about God, we're singing to him. Jesus isn't just somebody that we're supposed to leave this place and we're just supposed to talk about him. We're supposed to talk to him. It's, it's a relationship. It's an encounter. It's a connection. It's unity. It's intimacy. It's the fact that I get to dwell with the one who it says in John 1 was the word that became flesh that dwelt among them. I get to have that kind of intimacy through the Holy Spirit. I get to meet the man every day. I get to spend time meeting with the man Jesus and that revelation right there listen listen that revelation right there is way more powerful than any argument we could do it's way more powerful than anything we could possibly be preaching right now it's the fact that you want your life to change meet the man you want things in your life are you struggling with freedom meet the man encounter him Spend time with him. Because he wants to know you. He knows you intimately. And he wants you to see him for all that he is. So this morning, we could stand. Even those of us that, that go to church, sometimes we can be guilty making our relationship with God more about knowing more about Him instead of being with Him. We can sing songs to Him and live our lives through the lens of if in all I do I want to see Him. But what, what happened to Paul destroyed all of that because he wasn't thinking about that. He was locked in on the King. how many scriptures you know it's not going to be about how well you argued how well you reasoned people it's going to be it's going to be about it's going to be about did you have a revelation of Jesus were you faithful did you look at him did you know him truth of the gospel has to hit your heart not just stay in your mind so I want to I want to invite you this morning I want to do this first if you don't know Jesus and you're in the room and you feel this place in your heart where you're like man I've heard of maybe you've heard about him your whole life maybe you're like I I know about him I just I just haven't actually stepped into a personal revelation and encounter with him to actually make him my Lord and Savior. I want you to come to the front and I want to pray with you personally if there's anyone in the room. If you're watching online and that's you, 
to just step into that. Listen, praying a prayer doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. It says, if I confess with my mouth, what's the next line? Believe in your heart. It's believing. You believe that Jesus died. You believe that Jesus rose again. You believe that he is the one that can take away all of your sins. And then all you do is you just say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I repent. I repent. Do you want to meet Jesus? your name? Yeah, Lord, we just thank you right now. Just, just begin to pray. If you're online, just pray. Jesus, yeah. If you're watching, it's real simple. We just, we just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again I thank you that I get to have life with you would you be my Lord and Savior give the Lord praise. Bless you. Yeah. Oh, come on. Someone just met Jesus. Can we give the Lord praise? That's what church is all about right there. If you're online and, and, you, and you stepped in, please comment, email us, whatever that is. The last thing I want to do because I just want everybody to put your hands out. And we're just gonna step in. I wanna pray something real quick. I really felt like the Lord wanted us to step into a deeper revelation, even as we're going through Galatians, a revelation of who he is. So Lord, this morning, Jesus, we look at you, Jesus. We look at you. And I ask you, as we go forth as a church family, as we read Galatians, and as we do um, everything with table groups and different things, I ask you that we wouldn't just be talking about you, but that we would meet you, God. That there's revelation, that there's fresh revelation that you have to pour out, Lord. So I ask, Lord, even just with people that are driving on your commute to work, when you're with your family, when you wake up tomorrow and you're like, ah, I just... And here we go again, it's a Monday, that there would be a revelation that Jesus is walking with you, that Jesus is with you, that Jesus wants your day. He wants your day. He wants to spend time with you in that day. He wants you to commune with him. He wants you to talk with him. Jesus, would we step into a greater revelation of, G of you that as we read Galatians, that it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not just words on a page, it's 
It's a flesh. It's man. It's the person of Jesus. Would you reveal yourself to us as we step in? that I feel like there's a question and it's, is he really real? I ask you that you would make yourself so known to them that you are so real even as Paul, he was persecuting Christians he was persecuting and it says in Acts 9 that he was on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden there was a bright light and he met the man in that moment. I ask you that you would make yourself so real to people that there's not a shadow of a doubt, Lord. And here's the deal. When you meet the man and you encounter how real he is, then freedom begins to hit your life. Pornography has to go. Homosexuality leaves. Alcoholism has to go. Addiction leaves. Your identity is restored. Your identity is restored. You're not questioning. You're not questioning if you're a man or a woman. You're knowing who you are in him because you've met the man. Because you've met the man. 
So would you make yourself real to people, Lord? Would you make yourself real? You're realer than anything. And that freedom would come as we look at him. team come up and also Dave if you could come up too and if you if you specifically have like a tumor or a mass on your body that needs prayer Dave specifically had a word about that so if that's you come let Dave pray for you and let's continue to step into the fact that Jesus is healer he wants to heal and restore